Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast each week. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of our story. I've been following the gorgeous Claire Devine on socials since I bought one of her prints from her business, The New Divine, to stage our Canberra home when we put it up for sale. Having her in my newsfeed every day and sharing the creation of her paintings and also the realities of being a mother at the helm of an additional needs family has been such a breath of fresh air. I love her honesty and her pragmatic approach to the way that she lives her life, her career and her family. Um, and I love the way that they all just mould themselves around the unique needs of that family. In a chat that feels like it could have gone on for days rather than hours, here is my chat with the gorgeous Claire Devine. Okay, hi Claire and welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. Um, obviously podcasts aren't a visual medium and unfortunately I was supposed to come and record with you in your beautiful studio today, um, but mm-hmm. we made the decision to do it from afar <laughs> instead. Um, can you just give us, just for our listeners, just let us know what you can see and where you're sitting in your studio at the moment. Um, so I'm super privileged, Kate. I have a brand new studio by the sea. So um, from my studio, there's all sorts of glary grey day light coming in and the <laughs> kite surfers are out in force. So we just see these beautiful coloured, you know, colours flinging across the sky, I suppose. Amazing. It's just the absolute best thing ever. I wish to you were here. To inspire you. We will have to make it happen. It's an IOU. I told you I'll bring you coffee and cake another day. Um, today we just decided to do it this way. Um, now you are a full-time artist and you work creating art and running your business around the needs of your additional needs family. Can you tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about leaving your mm-hmm. teaching career to focus full-time on your art? Yeah, it was a really, really big decision. Um, I've known since forever that I wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I was living my dream job in my teaching career, I want to say. But we had this sort of 18 months of just like our life melting down around us. Um, my husband uh, had a, a really major seizure that um, impacted his memory function. Uh, at the same sort of time, he had a tumour cut out of his knee and then he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And at the same time as all of that, we had our second son who was a premier baby, so our second premier baby. And uh, and then he was diagnosed with albinism, which means that he's partially blind. So, or mainly blind, we think. Um, And so in the midst of all of that, I was getting up and going to work uh, on my return to work and thinking like, why am I, why am I going out to look after other people's children when my family really need me? Like, I love teaching and I love other people's kids, but but my family's where it's at. Mm. Uh, and it took us seven years to have any children in the first place. So I'm, I'm really like, I feel like I live in this total place of privilege where I get to have children. I get to be a mum and I didn't think I'd get to be a mum. So why was I not just embracing that and doing that? And so I had this little painting hobby business on the side, um, thankfully, by some miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so I was able to, but it, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't set up. The new divine was not set up to pay our bills. It was uh, play money at best. 
um, and but I, I took leave from my teaching job, um, unpaid leave, extended extended for many times, <laughs> um, and the business just sort of just sort of caught us. It just sort of took over or went wild overnight, I suppose, when I when I first shared my story and um, when I had the the time to give it a bit more thought and a bit more deliberate attention. So two years on almost, I find myself a full-time artist, uh, full-time mum, full-time carer, uh, you know, pulling crazy hours in a week, but it's very, very worth it. And so now we have three children and our third also has albinism. And so every day I wake up and I think, gee, it was a good call to to change lifestyle because yeah. I've never been more needed at home, you know? Yeah, I think when I see you curate the most beautiful stories when sharing through your art, but also <laughs> sharing through social media the realities of being a mother at the helm of a family with additional needs. And I've just yeah. found such, it just feels like looking in the mirror some days, looking at you juggling different therapy appointments around the needs of your family and, you know, being a carer and working and just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And you curate it in such a beautiful way that I've never once felt sorry for you. Like never once have I looked at you and like it, it doesn't feel like there's any pity involved. You're so fully embracing your family and loving your life. And it's just yeah. such a beautiful thing to see. And I have really wondered at times, I've said to people so many times, you know, our infertility and our gifts through fertility treatment. Um, I wish we didn't have the losses that we did, but um, yes. the experience of fertility treatment is such a gift in terms of now having three children with disabilities, because I think we're just so bloody grateful for them that yes. it's really put it into perspective. It was something that we really didn't think was going to happen for us for quite a significant yeah, amount of time. Different. And we were told so many times it would never be a reality for us and look down the adoption pathway and all of those things. So mm -hmm. it just feels like now that we've got them, we just don't care. We'll just yeah. make it work. And I get that real yeah. sense from the way that you share your stories as well. Yeah, I think that, I think that um, you know, some people say, you know, God gives you the children you were meant to have. Some people mm -hmm. say our children choose us, uh, you know, whatever your your theological beliefs around that. But I, I do think yeah. that, that we have the children that we have because we're supposed, you know, they're supposed to be ours. We're supposed to be a family. And yeah, um, I, yeah, I do. I just feel grateful for them. And I, I don't need a pity party. That's no. not at all where I, I think that there are a lot of people in carers roles in um, going through infertility or maybe secondary infertility, which by the way, I think would be the total pits. I'm pleased yeah. that my infertility was the first time before yeah. I knew what it was like to have a baby. Yeah. Um, so I feel huge, like heartbreak for people who have secondary infertility, but I think that there are so many people in these positions who aren't talking about it. Mm. Uh, and so for me, sharing that stuff, yes, it informs my art. For me, I can't separate art and family. Mm -hmm. I mean, the two just live together. And I think that it's probably refreshing or reassuring for so many other people in carers roles or going through this motherhood path however that unfolds for them and they identify with it and they go oh yeah actually today was hard for me too or I've been there yeah. oh not every day is perfect um actually you know you can be totally grateful for your children and totally wish it was different yeah um and that's yeah. okay like yeah, you're yeah. allowed to go through this huge range of um emotions that's part of the beauty of the human experience I suppose mm. and so I love that people identify with that story and maybe people who have never heard 
it's spoken out loud before. Like I feel like we're getting more um, brave about talking about miscarriage and infertility and IVF now, but I feel like it's still got so far to go before. Mm. So the more we can normalise this stuff, great. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for so much. (laughs) So much. I I came to you because we bought, um, I had you recommended by a friend when we were selling our house in Canberra before moving to Canberra. Um, And we bought some of your prints to stage our house for sale. And while they're lovely and still hanging in our house, um, it's really your stories and the way that you share your family that has just given me so much. So I'm so excited um, to have oh, you on the bless. show today and to be <laughs> really, really lovely. You've made my day. <laughs> you made my day because I just saw that Frances is on her way to my house and we're going to have a new family member soon. <laughs> so to give our listeners some context, <laughs> um, I purchased one of Claire's paintings and I was supposed to pick it up today when we did our interview. Um, but, yeah, she's put it in the post for me today instead. So I can't wait to get her home and I'll post some photos on our social so- Please you put put in the context. Imagine people going, oh, she's sending her one of her children. What's yeah. going on there? Well, we're excited. I think there's so much emotion in your art that it feels like taking a piece of your home into our home and being part of that story. Aww. So thank you so much. Um, so when I asked you to come on the pod, I did it with the curiosity about your sons being premature. And I wondered if they had potentially had some blood product as premi babies um, or any mm. of the craziness that you just shared about your husband. I wondered through his cancer journey if he had needed blood products. Um, but you told me that you have got a big story of your own. Um, so can you tell me about your ovarian hyperstimulation story and how you ended up becoming a blood product recipient? Yeah, I feel like it's a, you know, it's a story that was part of my identity for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said that it took us seven years to have our have our first child. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, uh, you know, we were trying like all couples do, and I was very young. So we just assumed that, you know, I mean, my mother had said, don't sit on hot bus seats. Like you could get pregnant from sitting on a warm bus seat. Like, yeah. I just assumed that the day you decide you want a baby, like that just turns up. I started buying baby clothes, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, fast forward 18 months, no baby, no positive pregnancy test of any description. Um, I started to see a specialist who took a special interest in the case because she she said, you know, really at, you know, 19, 20 years old, like, why are you not like, yeah, you're right. You should be yeah. able to just think about getting pregnant. So um, we did a couple of rounds of Clomid. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like an initial, like it's a pretty low key infertility drug, uh, I think in the scheme of things. Uh, and we had a couple of miscarriages. Um, in, and then uh, we did a round that was supposed to be an IUI cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was responding so well to the treatment uh and as a young person I was absolutely terrified of needles so injecting myself every day with these hormones and whatever uh was like major major uh personal development mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so we were not just financially invested to the tune of seven thousand in this round but because it was in the days before medicare subsidized any of this it was just yeah. entirely out of pocket and even private health insurance I don't think covered much of it at all um uh, and it was clearly, you know, we'd ruled out all the other stuff. Like it was my problem. It was this strange, unexplained infertility thing where I wasn't necessarily ovulating. So, but this round, here I am injecting myself. It's all going beautifully. 
And so we decided to switch and do an IVF cycle, mm-hmm. which brought about some other changes in the medication or the protocol or something, I forget. Yeah. Um, but I went for the egg retrieval, so went to sleep, woke up, felt pretty miserable. But sure, you know, you expect that, great, and we'll have a baby soon, hopefully, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And two days later, my, and I was very, very slim, so I'm, I'm a small person anyway. I was young and I was 52 kilos, I want to say. So I was just, there was nothing of me. So I actually had all the high risk factors for ovarian hyperstimulation, Mm. which is where after an egg retrieval, um, something about the lack of fluid or the new fluid that has grown in your body with these sacs around the eggs, Mm -hmm. um, for want of a better description, the sudden disappearance of that makes your body fill up with fluid. Um, And so, within 48 hours I looked like I was five months pregnant I had this huge bloated pregnant belly and I had five liters of fluid in pockets around my heart and lungs so that's pretty dangerous it's pretty bad five liters of fluid just turning up in your abdominal cavity in 48 hours pretty like it's just not ideal okay fertility treatment with a lot of friends and I've heard a lot of ovarian hyperstimulation stories but this one takes the cake that is that's really really dangerous yeah and it was frightening because like you get warned about this stuff you know you've got a percentage chance you're a high risk factor for blah blah Mm. I was like well sure but I'm also not supposed to be doing infertility in the first place so like let's just go for it what could go wrong really like you don't think it's going to happen to you sort of like you don't think that disability is going to happen in your family or you don't think that people get shot in your street I mean I don't know yeah yeah you kind Um, of feel like you've already been dealt a pretty bad hand with the infertility to start with so you're like I'll just do this medical thing it'll fix it and we'll get on with our lives and it yeah and it'll be fine really Mm -hmm. like what are the chances so anyway I went to um the emergency department and uh I sort of felt silly going because they had warned me that you could be a bit bloated or a bit off afterwards, but I felt like really shocking. Mm -hmm. And I got there and it was like this sudden flurry of like total panic when I said, oh, I had egg retrieval two days ago. It was like everyone just suddenly went bananas. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the hours went on, I was in more and more pain. So I got absolutely smashed with morphine. Um, like whatever the maximum dose is that they can give you. Let's yeah. not accuse, you know, I'm not saying they did the wrong thing. I'm just saying yeah. they gave me as much as they possibly could. Uh, and um, uh, it turns out that for, for ovarian hyperstimulation, the only real treatment at the time was to give you this blood byproduct called albumin um, and to give you heaps of fluids. And so that your body stops trying to hopefully make up for this lack of fluid and to just wait and see if the fluid goes away. And if it doesn't go away, uh, then they essentially shove a big needle into your abdomen and try and suck it out with a, a, you know, an ultrasound or or a scan to show them where the pockets of fluid are. Now, in my case, it wasn't just one big pocket or two big pockets. It was sort of spread all over the place. So they said, well, you'd be a pin cushion and there's no pocket, no single pocket big enough that justifies us 
you know, it's sort of dangerous and sort of messy and sort of very painful. Mm. Um, and you don't like needles. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it was just a watch and wait game. So I, so I had this albumin and I had um, a week in hospital on, on morphine, sort of barely conscious. Uh, and I mean, thank goodness for that. And previously I'd been a, a blood donor. Yeah. Um, you know, going into Red Cross, feeling good about myself and thinking, oh, well, I'll probably never need this, but, you know, some poor person somewhere yeah, yeah. Know, is feeling pretty bloody grateful for me today. <laughs> um, pat myself on the back, eat yeah. my chocolate bicky, drink my chocolate milk. That's good. Um, gloat about it on Facebook. All oh, the things. Let today. All the things. Virtue signaling so, doesn't hurt any of us. That's it. <laughs> that's it. When was last time you done it? I mean, I was the poster girl. So, uh, but I mean, thank goodness someone else was doing that and looking out for me because yeah. out of, I mean, it was out of nowhere as far mm. as I'm concerned. And I would still say that I don't care what the risk factor is. You mm. don't expect in a first world country to have an elective procedure yeah. that lots of women have month in month out mm. and to end up you know really compromised and mm. really yeah for it unwell. to become life-threatening so quickly yeah mm. um so yes <laughs> that is an incredible story that is the incredible. um the really sad part is it, yeah it, it kind of is and the the really awful thing is that somehow it had been like miscommunicated to the school that I worked with at the I was pretty much not coming back. Oh. Um, so I got all these like panicked messages from them and I'm sort of really, you know, silly from morphine and just out of it. And so I'm reading this stuff going like, am I dying? Like, oh. I don't, like, is that, is no one telling me? Um, so there's a sort of, you know, and I mean, I was not dying, no. but it was not also very not good. No. Um, and then in the, in the haze of morphine, my specialist comes to see me and she says, you know, we got nine viable eggs. And mm. I was really disappointed by that because, you know, some people get 18, 21. Mm. Like I'm thinking nine, like, oh. Mm. And she said of those five, you know, turned into embryos. But of those, they're not really viable. Mm. There's one that we could freeze if you really want us to. So this is on day five or day seven or something and yeah. I and she said to me and this is the part that I really remember because the rest of it I think I just reread it was written down for me the numbers of the embryos right yeah I remember her saying is Claire you, you can spend all of your money and all of your health to have a baby maybe mm. to maybe have a baby mm. or you can just get used to the idea that you might not have a baby and we can just not see each other again oh. and we can just because this is so bad like she said, we could do it differently next time. We could do the protocols differently with the drugs and you'd be a lesser risk. And blah. she said, but really, you know, looking at all of this packed up together, it's not great. Mm. And I thought, wow, like you make your money from me turning up month yeah. on month to, to yeah. do this with me, yeah. right? So to have an honest discussion like that with a 21-year-old, I think I was at the time, mm. or 22, right, okay. Mm. Like talk about a... That's a lot. A life redirection. Yeah. I thought for many years. So did you go on to use fertility treatment to conceive your children? No. No. <laughs> Plot I, uh, I, so I had a few more, I had a few more natural uh, miscarriages in between. 
so we've had four miscarriages all up yeah um and and so I just like by miscarriage number four I just knew what to do and this sounds really awful right but I'd just pack myself off to hospital because I've got private health insurance and I can hit me up with some serious painkillers for 24 hours and then I have a really good sleep in hospital uh, where they're monitoring me just in case you know anything goes amiss and then the next day I go home and feel sorry for myself for a week at home and then just go back to my life yeah. uh, and the funny thing is that when we got pregnant with Sasha our eldest uh, we were over in the in the UK meeting Shemus's family for the first yeah. time like now we're engaged and we're going to get married and all that sort of stuff and it's Christmas time so on the 28th of December or well, Christmas morning I woke up feeling pretty pretty miserable and I thought oh gosh we were at the pub last night but I don't remember having that much to drink like yeah. oh this is the worst hangover I've had for a very long time <laughs> and then by the uh by the 28th of December I'm going this is the longest hangover I've yeah. had in a very long time hangovers don't and usually have make a good three-day hangover <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right uh so I took a test and you know i I didn't change anything about what I was doing. I didn't stop drinking, partying, doing anything because I, I just said to everyone, you know, yes, it's a positive pregnancy test, but it's just going to be another miscarriage. Yeah, so like, let's just pretend like. it's never happened mm. and let's just keep going with our lives. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then I got back to Australia a couple of weeks later and my, my obstetrician said to me, you know, like you might want to start thinking about you might be having a baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you want to make some lifestyle changes. Mm. <laughs> so incredible. pretty, pretty incredible. So yep. now you've got the three kids. Mm-hmm. Could you ever Made. have imagined? We could no. get Jeff and I quite often because we were living in Canberra when we did our fertility treatment um, and we were able to access some of it, but my surgery I had to go to Sydney for. It's very surprising, oh. medical care that's available in Canberra. Um, oh. So to get the best, we went mm-hmm. to Sydney and yeah, we started that process. Jeff and I met when I was 21 and he was 22 and straight away I had to say to him, look, mate, if you want to have your own kids, then yeah. I could tell straight away he was going to be an incredible dad one day. I'm like, if you want to have your own kids, then let's just stay best mates because I'm not what you want to marry. This body Aww. is probably not giving you babies. And I loved him enough to say to him, Aww. off you go, which breaks my heart now. But oh, we, the heartbreak. Yeah, I know. I know that you know how that feels. <laughs> so we started our fertility treatment um, before we got engaged or before we got married. We have so many yeah. parallels in our stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we started seeing specialists when I was 23 when we started the process at 24. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. But we had so many discussions on that drive between Canberra and Sydney that now most oh. of the times that we'll go on a long road trip, one of us yes. will look in the revision mirror of the car and just go, where did all these children come from? Oh, <laughs> how did we do yeah. this? Like, how did we make this happen? And it was a long process and there was a lot of loss along the way and a lot of heartbreak. And yes. we were the same. It was before there was Medicare rebates and all of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So it cost us a fortune and we didn't buy a house until we were a bit older and all of those types of things, yep. all of our money yep. went into fertility treatment. But I think it has really put things into perspective with all of the kids having a disability and particularly when Marley's been so sick. Um, Mm. We have said goodbye to her a few times thinking she's not going to make it through the night. And I'm just (sighs) so grateful for the time that we've had with her. 
um, with her condition. We don't know what her future will look like. Everything looks amazing at the moment. She's doing incredibly well, but we have to be aware mm. of the fact that that could change in yeah. any time. Um, and I don't know, I think there was just some part of us in those moments that just went, we didn't ever think we were going to get this time. And if that's the time that we get, then we're so grateful because we didn't think that we were going to get this time as parents at all. So I know yeah. I feel so many of your feelings. I know what it's like to be young and in love and be going through that at the same time while your friends are going and traveling and doing all those fun things and you're pouring all of your additional money into fertility mm-hmm. pregnant and people are saying, yeah. well, you just relax and let it happen. And you're like, well, sometimes it's not quite that easy. But then our Yeah, I know. And but but now I'm the poster girl for that, right? Just relax, but like wait, also wait seven years. <laughs> so my but, no, but it's Shocking, shocking. <laughs> so Marley came off a failed IVF cycle. So yeah, right. she, well, when I say failed, the fertility clinic lost and accidentally destroyed our final embryo. We had one frozen <gasps> left, got Does all the way, uh, I don't know, got all the way to the doors of theatre because I was sedated for my embryo transfers, got all the way to the doors of theatre, about to go in, like on the bed, doors of theatre, about to go in to have this final embryo put in. And the scientist just came out and said that there'd been a problem. Anyway, it's a very long and complicated story, which I probably shouldn't put on record. But um, their best guess is that our embryo ended up in a sharp spin. And when they defrosted the vial, there was no embryo in there. And 10 days later, obviously, it was our final frozen, last roll of the dice. We decided we weren't spending any more money or time or whatever. So I did exactly what you said. I went home and drank a bottle of wine and had a box of cheesels for dinner that night. Yep. Um, And Solid, solid effort. Smashed all of the uh, oysters and prawns and stuff that I thought that I wasn't going to be able to eat because I was hoping to be pregnant again. Um, All of those things. And then 10 days later, I was sitting typing at my computer and my boobs were hurting that much that I couldn't put my arms like next to my boobs to type. And I was so cranky that I was still feeling the effects of those hormone injections. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. It shouldn't be getting worse rather than better. And so I was at work and I was still very emotional because I was early pregnant and everyone knew that we were doing another IVF cycle. And I was just like, team, I just need to walk. And I can remember exactly where I was out the front of a little cafe, like mid-step where I kind of did a count back. And we had had a dinner party the Thursday night before our embryo transfer was supposed to be on the Monday. Many of mm-hmm. the wine was drunk. We didn't worry about having unprotected sex because, you know, yeah. we'd been doing it for eight years and, yeah. you know, we had never, yeah. we never stopped doing that on an IVF cycle like you're supposed to because it had never been a problem before. And I just had that moment of doing count back and going, oh, surely not. Surely not. I went and bought a pregnancy (laughs) test during my lunch break. (laughs) Didn't tell Jeff because we we were so heartbroken about the situation. I was like being overly emotional. And I remember peeing on the stick and the positive pregnancy line came up before the control line. I was like, huh, it's not long since I've done a pregnancy test. I thought they came up in the other order. And then I was like, in the other order. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh dear. And I just went out oh, to the I didn't say a word. Though. And Jeff's like, no. I like, I just couldn't. I just couldn't talk. I just, I don't even have the words now. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. Little Marley's in our world. After all of that time, oh. it was just her time to be in this world. So we had told yeah, everyone what had happened with our failed IVF cycle and all the bad things that happened. And we didn't know yeah. that there's a little baby girl already safely nestled in my belly. We just didn't know she was there yet. 
So I am also the poster child. (laughs) I feel you so deeply. (laughs) I don't know. The universe has plans for us. Sometimes we just can't control them. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And often much better plans than the ones that we have for ourselves. So how do you feel when you hear this quote? And I got this from your website. So you may have actually written the quote, but I'm sure you can answer it anyway. Okay. (laughs) Claire's art comes through a place of deep love for her family because of their circumstances with Seamus's poor health and her son's disabilities. The journey they went through and continue to travel to create contentment, joy and focus on family, love and togetherness all feeds her artistic practice. Talk to me. Oh, well, firstly, I want to cry because it's been a long time since I wrote that. But wow, wasn't that nice? Um, uh, I think it's true. I think you, I think you can can sit back with your lot in life, and you yeah. can um, be really angry at the world and mm-hmm. be really angry um, at how life has turned out, mm-hmm. and that it's not the life that you planned or the life that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that. Uh, you then have a cho- like, and it's healthy to sit there for a long time. I'm not saying don't be angry. Oh, or don't yeah. feel sorry. For no, yourself. Like, do all of that. Like in oh. abundance, go mm-hmm. for your life. We were very angry for a long time. My husband in particular. Um, I think it's worse for men. I, I just do. I know that's not a very, you know, feminist or politically correct. It's my personal mm-hmm. opinion that for a man losing his ability to provide for his family comes back to some, certainly for my husband, yeah. to some innate provider man ug thing yeah that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that he needs to fulfill his purpose in life and so for him for that to be stripped mm. uh from him i think you know he was very angry and very confused mm. uh you know the the seizure really um impacted his his thinking for a long time um mm-hmm. uh so i think you can be in that place of anger for a long time and and then you have a choice mm. you can go this isn't the life i wanted what what do I do with that? Like, do I just wake up every day angry and wait to die? Or do I wake up every day thinking that the world owes me something? Because that that doesn't work. Uh, You know, I've tried it. I've tried being angry with the world and thinking, well, the world owes me because I have it so much harder than, no, everyone's got hard stuff. Like there's no, it's not a competition. Um, and I think the last couple of years have shown us that, yeah. you know, everyone goes through this hard stuff really unexpectedly. And, and uh, I mean, that is part of life. And so for us, it was a, a, just a reality check. Like we have this beautiful family that we prayed for for so long. Yeah. We have each other. We had this awful moment when my son was first diagnosed, when our, our second child was first diagnosed with albinism. And the, the doctor said to us, you know, 50% of marriages on being told that their child is disabled, 50% of marriages break up in the first yeah. year. Like I know that there's a high rate of divorce in this country anyway, mm. but 50% in the first year. And I just remember we're looking at Shamus and Shamus looking at me and we're going, that can't be us. Like no. we can't have done, we can't have gotten this far. Well, I just got goosebumps. And this thing's going to pull us apart, you know. Um, it happens so, though. I've seen it happen yeah, with so many yeah, of and our I, and friends that's in the special needs community. Yeah. Yeah. And we we frequently get to the end of a really hard day because I'm not going to say every day is joy and light. Like we choose to see the good stuff yeah. and focus on that as much as we can. But there are really hard days and on the the end of really hard days we sit out on our front porch and go do you know what anyone who's stayed together mm. after having children 
like disabled or otherwise, anyone who stays yeah. together after having children, tick. Like you deserve a gold medal just yeah. for <laughs> yeah, surviving. Absolutely. We we literally children. call it survival mode when we're having a really <laughs> rough time. As long as the kitchen and the bathroom are clean and sterile, everything else just goes to the shit. And we're just like, it's survival mode. We just need a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I've let go of so much stuff like yeah. that. Like I used to be a total neat freak. I used to pride myself on, you know, the baby slept perfectly, ate perfectly, ate this diverse diet that I had, <laughs> organic, blah, blah, and the house was always pristine. Like, that's not me anymore. It can't be me. Some stuff has to, you know, has to fly. I can't mm. I can't wear all of the hats. But no. so, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the more you look for miracles every day, the more you find them. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I would say about about our life and so we just celebrate even the little things and uh it reinforces or sorry it gives you strength to then face the (laughs) the awful stuff and there is some really rough awful days there really really is Mm. I so many times wake up and roll over in bed between our, you know, there's usually a couple of kids in our bed. We solved sleep problems with our children by just buying a king size bed so people could just come and go yep. if they pleased. Yeah. Um, and call. Marley is monitored with medical equipment overnight because of her seizures. So it's not like I, you know, lovingly roll over to my husband and he's right there. You kind of have to clamber over the children and the cords. But I look at him and I'm just like, <laughs> I literally couldn't do this with anybody else. Like, I'm just yes. so glad that we knew that we had these big challenges before we even got married and we knew that this was going to be a yeah. big fight you know infertility wise and I've got some complex health stuff as well and he chose me knowing that I was going to be hard and that's just such a special thing it's just so special yeah. and we just have been lucky to be able to kind of park the romantic aspect of our marriage to the side and just together <laughs> in crazy survival mode and just get it done because we so desperately wanted this family and it's going to be such a short fleeting amount of time in our lives that we're going to have these little people totally dependent on us yeah. um, I had the heartbreak last Christmas holidays of realizing that um, our oldest is 10 now and that he has spent mm-hmm. more than half of the Christmas holidays that he's going to want to spend with us and 10 yeah. years doesn't feel long. It feels like he's so little yeah. in it. You know, we're only just starting this journey. But, you know, by the time he's 18, he's not going to want to spend his Christmas holidays with mummy. He's not going to want to yeah. go to the zoo. And Oh, he might, but he might, but he might. And look, he's but not he going to want to spend six weeks of it with me, to be fair. He's going to have okay, not, of it's not. Yeah, it's not going to be the same. I, <laughs> it's I not. Get that. But it's that realisation, I I think, that it's such a small amount of time that you've got them all to yourself and you've just got to prepare them as well as you can and then send them out into the world and hope that you've created enough love that they still want to come back. And, yeah, Yeah, I I really hope that's what we're doing. Um, I hear you. We had this, like, this Christmas, with our last Christmas with a baby. Like, we've got our three. We said we'd have three. I would love more, but my obstetrician was like, oh, Claire, you've got to, like... You've got Have to you had the to same obstetrician like, the whole time? Yes, and she oh. is amazing and I love her. I love her and I miss her every day. So did she deliver um, the first baby? Yes. So oh, the first two, well, they were all emergency caesareans, but the first two were premature, so it was an extra degree of crazy. Yeah, um, yeah so we've had her 
all the way along and she's just the most divine human being and we still sort of keep in touch and I feel so privileged that we still yeah. get to keep in touch but she um she said no you know seven pregnancies four miscarriages three really hard pregnancies like I'm not a good pregnant woman yeah unfortunately um which is often the case people get through the the difficulty of IVF and then they're yeah. finally pregnant and then they go on to have this absolutely awful pregnancy that's nothing like the dream no no it really um, wasn't I hated being pregnant and I hated saying that because I wanted it for such a long time <sighs> and it was just awful yeah, that's the pits. Mm. Anyway, so, but she said, no, that's enough children. And Seamus is totally done. I mean, three was his yep. absolute max limit. Mm. Um, but the, yeah, that really, that deep sadness, like I have spent the last, I don't know, 13 years planning, hoping for, praying for, waiting for a positive test for having babies. Yeah. And now suddenly that chapter's done and this is the last part of your little baby yeah yeah and so you know the the real um I I do feel like I'm still in this sort of strange transition land where Mm. our family are all here and but I and I'm grateful for that I'm still totally heartbroken that 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 season's over yeah um I totally hear you the kids grow up too fast. They really, really, really do. <laughs> I feel like I'm giving you some good things to paint on. I'm uncovering some emotions. I want to know what you create this <laughs> afternoon after our chat. I would like some updates, please. <laughs> um, one of our final questions. So here at the Milkshakes for Marley podcast, we love to highlight the achievements and contributions to communities that our guests have made since receiving their blood products. Now, apart from being a kick-ass artist, small business owner, wife, mother, and carer, <laughs> you also ensure that your business has a focus on giving back to the community. Um, can you tell me about some uh-huh. of the charities that the New Divine has made contributions to and also a little bit about your focus on sustainable practices? Oh, wow. Um, a lot. We've supported a lot of um, charities that, um including this year epilepsy action australia um that support people um with epilepsy obviously because it's touched our family so significantly Um, that's really the one i wanted you to focus on because it's touched ours so much too that was really the the question (laughs) and we um we we lost a friend actually well she one of my very good friends sister um a couple of years ago she died at 21 from a seizure uh and uh you know, the injustice of that yeah. just never just never goes away. Um, I'm trying very hard not to cry. Mm, you can cry. Uh, and we can edit it out too. Well, you can do whatever you need to do. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not a glamorous crier. I'm like an all-out sook. Um, <laughs> but uh, we've done some stuff uh, very successfully with guide dogs as well. Amazing. Um, because they were um, an incredible support for us. Uh, when Charlotte was first diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, they came out to our house and they were just so practical and so like pick up the phone anytime and just yeah. vent or rant or say, oh, I don't understand, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because a lot of people think that guide dogs just do dogs for really blind people mm-hmm. when actually they do all this other stuff including camps to get families together and yeah. um like play groups all that sort of thing so is that um, something you're considering for your family in the future uh i think that the boys because we've focused so completely on 
um, therapy and in early intervention, I think that they uh, are going to be okay mm -hmm. without dogs. But for a long time, we thought that Shiloh would need one, and I, I still wouldn't. I still wouldn't rule it out. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately it'll be his decision about what he feels mm. really comfortable with, just like some people choose to walk with a cane and some yeah, people sure. don't. Um, so we just sort of have to wait and see there. But, you know, it's been a privilege to give back to these mm. uh, charities and organisations. And then as far as sustainability goes, I just think that every small business has to like the big businesses are dropping the ball, right? That's my personal opinion as a business owner. And mm -hmm. so it's small businesses to actually look at what we're doing and, and at a grassroots level, uh, uh, do something about it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's very easy to switch out plastic mailers for compostable ones. Yeah, um, It's very easy to um, pay into Greenfleet to subsidise your um, CO2 emissions and they go out and plant a rainforest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's a very small percentage of your um, profits to to do this stuff. And then to mm -hmm. only stock, like to, to manufacture locally if you can in Australia, mm -hmm. I feel like there's been a huge push for that recently yep. and I, I still think that's really important. So everything that we do is, is Australian made um, and mostly in Brisbane, which is great because it doesn't travel far. Mm. And it also means like small supply chain with other small businesses. There's no great big minimums. There's no, uh, so you can do small orders. Um, uh, so there's less waste product. So you're not like Maya bringing in 600 dresses that they know rightly they're not going to sell unless it's 75% yeah. off. Yeah. Um, like what a kind of rubbish and those dresses are only going to be worn once and you know mm. so we don't uh we don't work like that we try very hard to only print the stuff that the stuff that we need yeah um but yes we're very we're very proud to I'm not sure if proud's the right word like I feel like it's just part of good business practice mm. and it makes you feel good and it does some good for other people so mm. at no point is anyone you know, missing out by doing this sort of thing. Mm. Um, and if charities wanted to approach me for more um, originals for donations that they can like raffle off, auction mm. off, um, like we donated one for, uh, what are they called? Flying Doctor Service. Yeah, amazing. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I would love to do more stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Um, Brilliant. Because yeah, people people go nuts for for an artwork that also you know gives yeah. um, gives a great charity mm. uh, money to do good work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you don't just create art; you tell stories in everything that you do. And I love that so much about your art. Um, we're just going to finish with the amazing birds that you painted the other day, <laughs> because. <laughs> We have a really strong connection to blue fairy wrens. So our middle guy Campbell right. is a surviving twin and we have had lots and lots and lots, like a freaky amount of instances in our life where we've been at special family events and a little blue fairy wren will just fly in and sit near our family. Wow. Um, we 
go to, well, when we lived in Canberra, we went to Marimbula quite often and there was always lots of blue fairy wrens there that would like literally fly down and play at Campbell's feet and didn't interact with anybody else. And it was just our magical way of, you know, connecting to Benjamin, his twin brother. And I saw that you painted some birds the other day on request of one of your children. Can you just tell me about that? Um. Bless him, Sasha's going through that awful in-between time between kindy and school. It's it's just the transition. No one likes being in transition. Like no one likes change. So the the longer, the the more drawn out the change is. So I really feel for him. And he he has this little best friend. They've been best friends since they were eight months old. And I've never seen two children like it. They just gravitate to each other. Um, And they're both wild, eccentric, flamboyant, uh, anyway, so they happen to be going to the same school together. So thank goodness he gets to go to school with his with his best friend. They won't be in the same class, but that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> well, the um, but it's lo- that's right. But it's lovely that they they get to be together and continue this beautiful like just love fest of young child awesomeness that they are yeah. uh, and so on one of his particularly cranky days because he's in this transition and he doesn't know whether he's Arthur or Martha yeah uh, he said to me well while I'm at kindy today can you paint some birds and I said no mate because I don't paint birds and I don't know how to paint birds and I don't <laughs> paint birds you know he gave me one of those typical five-year-old lines of well if you don't paint the birds then I'm not going to play with you yeah you yeah. know what of those ones uh and so anyway I thought oh, like why did I decide I couldn't paint birds what's it going to hurt to try yeah so I painted a kookaburra and a, and a cockatoo together to represent him and his little best friend um because they're wildly different but they're exactly the same and so mm-hmm. these two birds are cuddling and uh it's just gone, it's just taken on a life of its own, this artwork. <laughs> I mean, it's become the bestseller overnight. People identify with whether it's a love story or best friends or love is love or, um, you know, closeness when we've been so far apart. I don't know, this artwork's just taken on this thing. And sure enough, he comes home and he's like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I'm like, oh, Mum painted some birds. That was going to yeah. be my question. Did he even want to keep like, them or he was just like, yeah, cool, Mum? Yeah, he's like, cool, Mum. Yeah. More, and, and he said, oh, there's not much colour. Thanks for the feedback there, kiddo. Anyway, so I've since painted some more birds and I'll keep attempting birds. I don't know, blue fairy wrens. I'll have to have a look and and, and attempt it. I'll so attempt it. The moral of that story is if I ask you to paint me one, you'll say I don't paint birds. But if Campbell comes and asks you to paint one for him, <laughs> you'll be like, oh, okay, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I'm so grateful to the blood donors that were able to make the product to give to 19-year-old Claire to keep her alive because you have built such a beautiful family since then and you've achieved so much and you give so much back to the community and you just embody everything that we made the Milkshakes for Marley podcast for because we wanted to tell these stories of, you know, people give blood and they think about, you know, people that are recovering from cancer or, you know, someone that's had a car accident or maybe needing, you know, postpartum hemorrhage or something. They don't think about people that are going through everyday things that wake up, you know, at 19 starting fertility treatment and by 21, you know, need life-saving blood from ovarian hyperstimulation. You just don't think about those people. And I'm just so grateful to have you in my orbit and that we've got you in our world doing what you do. So just thank you so much for being here. 
Oh, thank you so, so much for chatting. It was an absolute delight to finally get to chat. <laughs> and we'll have to do it again thank with you. coffee and cake. We will, I promise. <laughs> and maybe gin. I don't know, some bubbles. <laughs> oh, I could be convinced. <laughs> what can I say? Chatting with Claire was just such a joy. We really wanted to profile all of the amazing things that blood product recipients go on to do with their lives following blood products here on the podcast. And Claire has just gone on to achieve so many amazing things in her family, in her business, and in her contributions to her community. We are so grateful to have her as part of the Milkshakes for Marley community. Please check out her family story and all of her beautiful art over at The New Divine. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of the incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was artist Claire Devine. Marley's dad, my lovely husband Jeff Fisher, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share it with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Molly herself. Thank you for my prize, Molly.